All rise in the courtroom and to those listening on stream for the dishonorable badger is entering the scene. Apparently doing this as a day job simply was not enough. So let your jaws drop to the floor cause we can't make this stuff up. Welcome back to the legal fun house. We put the fun in dysfunctional. It's crazy in the legal fun house but weirdly educational. But every single one is remarkably true. to law school and is more than qualified to talk about the strangest cases from the strangest people alive and the friend that he brought along barely past eighth grade whose legal experience lies within parking in the fire lane welcome back to the legal fun house we're just as confused as you it's finally time for the legal fun house and without further ado Every single one is remarkably true. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. It's Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. I am your host, the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister, and here with me today, as always, is our certified legal layman, Alkali. Say hi, Alkali. Hello, everyone. It's been a little while since our last show. We've had some personal shit going down. Uh, my father, who uh, I, I've spoken about in the past and is the guy who got me into law and interested in this, uh, went to Arizona uh, for a wonderful family vacation. And ended up, uh, they were they're supposed to be there for like a week to visit my great aunt and my second cousins out there. And instead, uh, my father ended up in the hospital for the better part of a month. So a normal family vacation. Yeah, a normal family vacation. Why haven't he, uh, he got to Arizona? He's like, oh man, I have a cold. And then he collapsed. <laughs> and uh, his cold turned out to be pneumonia. Oh my god! Uh, so he got hospitalized for that, and my my dad's a big guy. Like if I I know those of you listening at home, you can't see me, but I'm a big guy, and I get that from my father. My dad's a big guy. My mother is not a big guy. Obviously, she's my mother, uh, but not big at all. And uh, she couldn't get him up off the ground. And my uh, my second cousin, who's a rancher out in Arizona, couldn't get him up off the ground. He ended up in the hospital. Uh, he ended up having a, a stroke while in the hospital, we believe. Um, it took a month to get him functional enough to fly back home. So for the past month, uh, during the month of November, I wasn't going to to sit down and plan things for this, uh, in addition to my, my day job as, you know, a fucking lawyer. Uh, because at any second, I could end up having to fly my ass to Kentucky or at that point to Arizona to uh, to get my father back home. So that's that's the reason on my end. On Alkali's end, Alkali has some loose ends uh, from a relationship that we discussed last time to tie up. Ah. 
Yeah, I like that noise. Uh, in addition to uh, in addition to getting their channel Alkali Anonymous over on Twitch back up and running, uh, they broke from their longtime business and life partner, and Alkali now has their own channel running over at Alkali Anonymous, as well as getting. Go. wonderfully crazy wonderfully crazy oh yeah it's it's great uh, like you can't see this at home but uh when we record this we record it live on twitch uh every other monday is how we're supposed to fucking do it uh it hadn't been oh. hadn't been working like that but that's how it's supposed to be shit into one hand and supposed to into the other yes. and figure out which fills up first. <laughs> so uh, you can't see it at home, but when we record these live on Twitch, normally we're both on camera. And tonight I am on camera. I'm set up in my kitchen. If you hear a small whirring behind me, that is our dishwasher. The studio is still under renovations. Uh, however, Alkali is a computer-generated ferret wearing a top hat in front of the skyline of the city of Chicago. Damn right, and would you like to know why? Why? Because when you're restarting a Twitch channel and going through this, look, showers aren't the immediate thing that you're worried about, and no one needs to see that. <laughs> so, you heard me say we record it live, we record it live, and I, I mention that to the ends of the earth at the beginning of every episode for one reason and one reason only. I don't like audio editing. I hate it. The podcast does not bring in uh, sufficient amounts of money for me to pay somebody to do it for me, and I'm just not going to sit down and fucking edit everything. So <laughs> so we record live, and I want to make sure you know that because we don't do second takes. We have done two second takes in the history of this podcast, and both of which were because the recording cut out and I had to restart them, and I spliced the audios together, which took me all of 10 seconds to fucking do. And that is 10 seconds you will never get back. Never again. If it goes out, that is legally binding from this point forward. So, Aglai, are you ready to get back to it? I am ready, willing, able, and horrified. Let's do this. Wonderful. So tonight's episode is called The Case of the Self-Incriminating Blouse. Oh, my God, Bill Clinton, it's time. You finally made it, buddy. You made it onto the show. Tonight, we are going to discuss the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution uh, and when it does and does not apply. And we're going to do that with a, a series of cases. We're going to talk about three cases, all based on the first one we'll talk about tonight. But before we get to all of that, I have to do a disclaimer. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. So... First of all, I, I want to point out, I had a, uh, a a long conference at the end of October uh, for my job, and one of the head lawyers of the, uh, of the people I work for was giving a speech, and they opened the speech by saying, this is an educational, informational, and hopefully entertaining talk about, and I heard that. And I immediately sent a message to Alkali that read, oh, my God, I think my big, big boss has heard the fucking podcast. Yes, he has. Because every episode, the disclaimer starts with, Boozy's Legal Funhouse is an educational, informational, and hopefully entertaining discussion of the law and basic legal principles. What it is not is legal advice. I am not your attorney. 
I am an attorney, but I am not your attorney. The way I would become your attorney is you would come into my office, tell me about your legal problem. I would agree to represent you, hand you an engagement letter. You would sign it and pay a retainer of my choosing. You can't just PayPal me a dollar and have me be your lawyer. And that would create the attorney-client relationship. You could do all those things if I accepted private clients, but I don't. So you can't hire me no matter what. Nothing I say tonight is legal advice, is information, and no attorney-client privilege will attach to anything I talk about. For the love of God, do not just say, a giant badger on the internet told me to do this. It won't hold up well in court. The way you would need to get legal advice is find a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction and discuss with them your problems and go through all those steps I just mentioned. Because while we're talking about general legal principles, every state, as we'll see tonight, is slightly different on the law or sometimes wildly different. If you're in Louisiana, none of it fucking matters. Different legal system. They are just out there on their own. You know, I'm pretty sure that's their state motto. Louisiana, you are out here on your own. Louisiana, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) But but in French. (laughs) Boozy, turn your gain down by like two clicks. I, I will certainly do that. By the way, if you've been listening at the beginning of it, uh, fuck you. I'm not editing it. Oh, no, no, absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope that I'm okay now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's fine. You you were peeking out a little bit there, and that's why we do this live. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Fuck you. I, I'm not editing. Like, maybe, maybe I'll hit the normalize button. <laughs> you Okay, I love maybe I'll hit the normalize button. You may be a lawyer, but this is what I do. There's nothing you can do once you start peaking. It's one of the things I learned about being a podcaster. (laughs) My first four streams were nothing but, this man sounds like a sociopath. Oh, no, we just don't hear the top level of his voice, and this is horrifying. (laughs) All right. So we want to talk about the Fifth Amendment tonight, but before we get to that, Alkali... I have to do a couple things. The very first oh, thing I have to do is I need to read off the names of our Patreon supporters at the $5 Yay! level and above over at patreon.com slash liquor. So a special thank you to Jack of All Korgs, Tezcat Magic, Jag, Wayland Roche, Dozer Trash, Panda, Mama T, Uncle Kage, David Hunter, Evelyn Klein, Lufus the Raccoon, Netherlinks, Pandemonium, Petrov Neutrino, Alkali Anonymous, Andy, Buddy Goodboy, CC Otter, Chroma Hydra, Dragor, Eddie the Weatherfox, Emily Weichbrood, Floofy Foxers, Ghost Goat, Grace Jane Gollinger, Head Fox and Jason Knight, Julie Esslinger, Jess James, Lack, Leon Dashwood, Lorraine Poirier, Mark Whipple, Michael Blocker, Nikolai Autopoom, Red Fox, Rune Dog, Scuba Fox, Sarathan, Silver, Skyer, Tekel, Tiny Voices, Tyron, and Ziggy Bull. Thank you to Yay! those wonderful people. If you want to be some of those, you can do that over at patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor. It certainly helps. Or you can show your support in other ways. Go to your podcasting service of choice and give us five stars. Don't care if you tell us to go get fucked after you put those five stars in because the stars are what helps the rankings. Alkali, if they're interested in supporting you specifically, where can they do that? You can find me over on twitch.tv slash Alkali Anonymous, and you'll find the Patreon under the similar thing. There are links all over my Twitch to get there. We stream four times a week. Tonight will be our Monday night Jackbox Spectacular, 7 p.m. Central Time. If you're here live, don't forget to tune back in 7 p.m. and join us for some audience participation Jackbox Gaming. See you guys then. Woo!
Yay! Yeah, you peaked out that time. I can tell because it cut you off. Oh, yep. I'm working on it right now. <laughs> so, uh, one other thing. We do it every episode. We go through the legal news. Are you ready for legal news? I love the legal news. Yeah, it's you're, horrifying. You're really got to love this. Uh, so, a Connecticut lawyer has been sentenced and received a suspended sentence after pleading no contest to a charge. From Nagatuck, Connecticut, Robert Serafinowicz was sentenced in Middletown, Connecticut, under a plea deal that called for a 364-day suspended jail sentence and two years of probation on or about November 22nd, so last week right before Thanksgiving. What was he, uh, what was he charged with? ChatGBT. ChatGBT is now just a charge. I'm assuming that everything you say is is ChatGBT. They used it to uh, print out their diploma because that's what ChatGDP is for. Uh, I have graduated from 17 institutions at this point. Thank you, ChatGPT. You're amazing. No. <laughs> no. No, he was charged with third-degree assault. He, that... In the courtroom? Uh, like, not in the courtroom? Right outside of the courtroom, though. There's a radius on a courtroom that I think you shouldn't beat the hell out of your clients during. I've, it wasn't your client. Safanowitz outside of the courthouse in, uh, in Derby, Connecticut, on September 7th of 2022, so about a year ago, uh, ran into another lawyer named uh, Edward Gavin. And Serafinowitz okay. uh, and Gavin had a history. Uh, oh. They, they had a history. Uh, about a decade ago, they started getting into uh, disputes with each other when Serafinowitz criticized a judge uh, and Gavin defended that judge in court and at hearings. Uh, Sarah Finowitz was ultimately suspended from the practice of law for 120 days, so about four months, because he uh, he had insulted, he made disparaging remarks about that judge, right? Okay, okay. Okay. So they run into each other in September of last year outside of this courthouse. and uh, And Gavin starts making, like, snide remarks about that case from 2015. Oh, this always goes well. All right. right. And apparently, he had been making those snide remarks for years about it. So uh, Sarah Finowitz walks up to him and is like, hey, apologize to me. Right? Uh, okay. I, this is starting off well. I right. think that's like, a good... Like I mean, here's the thing that you're telling me that this is all because he insulted a judge. If only we had a way to know how the Fifth Amendment applied to this, <laughs> so, we should truly do a show on that. So, so Sarah Fenowitz is like, hey, I, I want an apology for all the shit you've been talking for the past you know, 10 years about me. And Gavin's like, no, yeah, I'm not going to apologize. You were offhand there, right? Right. So Sarah Finowitz, obviously they had a very, very uh, high level and calm and adult conversation that you would expect out of two professionals, right? I highly doubt that because we would not be talking to them yeah, no, about them. The, Continue. The, the audio clip 
of this has Sarah Fenowitz saying, no, I'm not calming down. This is all coming out, and everybody knows that, and I got a fucking list. Do you want to talk shit in front of me now? Do you want to fucking apologize? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then Sarah Finowitz slapped Gavin. Slapped. Slapped him. That, so third-degree assault is a slap? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. He's got he's got the third degree going all over his face. The handprint is the evidence. This is how it works. Now, uh, also, how was there an audio recording? I thought you said this was outside the, the yeah, courthouse. Yeah, it was, but we live in a world of cell phones. Oh, I forgot about those things. And apparently somebody saw the two lawyers getting into it and whipped out their fucking camera. And it's not just audio. There's a video. Well, this show just got 90% more entertaining. There's a, if I can find the video, I will put it in the show notes. But there's a video of this encounter. Uh, now, Sarah Fenowitz, uh, this wasn't his first suspension. He had been suspended for 120 days. That was stayed after 10 days, meaning they, they let him keep practicing uh, back in 2017. Um, okay. Uh, when he called a forensic psychologist a dangerous individual and a psychopath. Uh but- he watched too much Dexter. I understand that one. I get that. Yeah, well, yeah, he pled no contest in the slapping case, and their immediate question is, uh, hey, are you going to plead no contest in the case of that forensic psychologist that you called a psychopath that's brought against you? Because Sarah Finowitz has also been charged. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sarah Finowitz has also been charged as of November 2022 with second degree stalking and harassment for an August 2022 incident involving that psychologist. Oh. Oh. At what oh, at what point do you just need to move to Connecticut to to, to practice law because they accept this stuff? Now there are uh there are explanations for it because uh, when Sarah Finowitz was asked about the case with the psychologist, uh, Sarah Finowitz basically was like, uh, you know, I, the guy's an absolutely uh, lunatic, right? Uh, okay. And, and to quote Sarah Finowitz, he says the reason that the forensic psychologist has a problem with him is because the for- – go, go oh, ahead. No, I want to hear your guess. All right, the forensic scientist has a problem with him because I'm going to go back to my first guest. He has watched too much Dexter and too much NCIS and keeps telling him to enhance. Every time he brings up evidence, he's like, no, enhance that. That'll clear my client. That's not always how you clear a client. You must enhance the picture. Well, let, let me ask. What do you think the political outlook of the slapping lawyer of Connecticut out there, the the bitch slapping attorney of Connecticut, what do you think his political outlook is? Uh, he sounds a little conservative. A little, a conservative. little conservative. Yeah. Uh, he says the lawsuit because the forensic psychologist is a liberal zealot who, ah. who and I quote, had a problem because I am a make America great again kind of guy. Ah, guilty! (laughs) He became obsessed with me and would not stop harassing me. His conduct included meeting random women and telling them that I would date them. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) How the hell does that come up in conversation? 
nice to meet you. You look absolutely radiant today. The bitch-slapping attorney wants to put jelly into your hoo-ha. Have a wonderful day. The bitch-slapping lawyer can I get the only reason that he is being charged is because that forensic psychologist is a liberal zealot, and he's living in that psychologist's head rent-free, and the psychologist is such a cook. He's trying to hook him up. This is just like it's one attorney that embodies Trumpism. That's incredible. Like that, not that like, is incredible. Yeah, not like the but just like the general mindset of those people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a make America great type of guy. That's why he filed the lawsuit about me. Also, I'm gonna go bitch slap this other lawyer. I've been suspended from the practice of law twice. <laughs> Oh. Oh. oh you you have such an interesting profession i i i find the ones that are the most interesting to discuss with you <laughs> uh, well i appreciate it because your job is so much different than mine like there are fights like physical altercations constantly when i was in the training pit even when i was in the office there would be the the occasional but you know what Afterwards, when the cell phones came out, like, oh, sorry, I got a little angry about losing a quarter million dollars. Yeah, I understand. Handshake, sit down, and then we put sushi in their shoe when they take a nap later that day. By the way, real story. Wee! <laughs> I, I just love that. Like, when the cell phones came out, because that, that's wonderful. When the cell phones came out, everybody calmed down. Not fucking Sarah Fenowitz. Yeah, no way. Sarah- oh, thanks. Sarah Finowitz saw the cell phones and went from lawyer to MMA fighter. Let's go, motherfucker. They just look at Apple. They just look at the phone. Is that an Apple? All right, that's a Monopoly. Not acceptable in court. I can beat the <laughs> shit out of this guy. Oh, so today's today's tale, today's case that we're going to examine for the basic legal principle arises from the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution. Alkali, what is the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution? The right to bear arms while having freedom of speech. There's a lot of com- combining on number five. That's Yeah, no, they just kind of, they, they decided they were going to do a mashup. Yeah, no, look, no one reads the whole thing, but everyone knows number five, so they figured if they mention all the other ones. It's like, what? what is, what's the, I think it's a John Mulaney bit. I adore John Mulaney. It, uh, he has a bit on the Constitution of the United States. It's like, you know, what's the First Amendment? Like them when they're sitting there and they're writing the the Bill of Rights. It's like, what's the First Amendment? The right you can say whatever you want. Oh, okay, no, that's that's good. Right to speech. Yeah, no, that's good. What about the second one? Everyone gets a gun. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Yo, what? What? Everyone gets a gun. Why, why Why? should I? I don't think that should be like two. Maybe we should. No, the guns. What about the thirds? What, what, oh, okay. Okay. Guns. Uh, no, we a, got guns. We yeah, got guns. What, what about the third one? The army can't stay in your house. What is going on? <laughs> These are really important things. These are all very important. Okay. Fifth Amendment. Let me remember. So. Yeah, you're right about those. So isn't fifth, uh, that's the double jeopardy one, No, right? no, 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 no. I fifth have, is not double jeopardy. I have a bit, because this is the one that is used the most in popular culture. Like, like well, in every fucking uh, police or law procedural, this is the one. Well, then that's, 
I thought that was, I thought the Fifth Amendment was the one where you're basically allowed to be tried by your peers and no double jeopardy, right? No, no, no. Jury of peers is, uh, I believe, the sixth. Oh, shit, then I'm off. Okay, what's fifth? I plead the... Oh, right! I, uh, the right to not incriminate yourself. The Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution reads, verbatim, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia, when in actual service in a time of war or public danger. Nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in the jeopardy of life or limb. It is double jeopardy. You are oh, partially okay, right. Nor, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So there's a lot of shit in the Fifth Amendment. Right? There is. there, And that's why, of course, I didn't know it, because you're talking about pleading the Fifth. Do you think I'd ever take the opportunity to not talk? <laughs> oh, is, sir, you really shouldn't incriminate yourself. Like, give me that microphone. I've got things to say. So let's, let's before we go into our cases, let's break down the Fifth Amendment. Let, let's look at all the protections it actually gives you. Okay. I did hear that it doesn't protect you if you're in a militia, so yeah. that's new. I didn't know that. Well, uh, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in a time of war or public danger. That's the first part. What does that mean? Uh, that means that you have to be tried for you, the crap that you do before you're blamed for it. You're actually, uh, you're going a step further. Oh. Yeah. Oh. No person shall be held to answer is the trial. You can't be tried for a capital or infamous crime. Uh, so, you know, capital is obviously, it's death. Right. Uh, infamous crime is now a fancy way to say a felony. Okay. 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 Unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So you have to, uh, I thought that's what that meant. That means you have to be tried for it before they can blame you for it. You have to be indicted. Uh, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I see, I see the difference. That, see, this is why I can't be a lawyer. You warned me about commas. I'm not even at the point with sentence structure. An indictment, uh, a presentment or indictment is essentially the, uh, the, the whole process where the prosecution goes before uh, a fact-finding body, uh, be it a grand jury or just a judge, depending on where you are, and basically they establish what's called a prima facie case. And a prima facie case is just, we have enough evidence that it is more likely than not they committed this crime. Therefore, we okay. should be allowed to put them on trial for that crime. Ah, uh, okay, all right. Okay. The accepting case, what you were talking about with the militia, uh, that is accepting cases arising in land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in a time of war or public danger. Why do we have that? Oh, that's for the uh, military tribunals. The military tribunals, exactly. Yeah, got one! Da, 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 da. Exactly. They, there is no requirement of a presentment or indictment uh, prior to trial in a military tribunal. Uh, especially in a time of war or public danger, those kind of fall outside of those things. 
I love this show. I learned so we are only what twenty minutes in, and I just learned about that the military can just throw you into a cell. I already know that your state can just, if you try to sue the state, they can make the decision on their own. <laughs> and Madonna has her own pre-cases. The pre-Madonna cases are very important. <laughs> the, uh, the Prima Fascia, but yeah, Prima Fascia is uh, Madonna's, it's like the Madonna cover band. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like but... a lawyer <laughs> slapping for the very first time. The second part of it, and we'll talk about this in a future episode as well, is nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be put twice in jeopardy of life or limb. Uh, what is that's it? what I know. That's the double jeopardy That's clause. double jeopardy. If you are acquitted of a crime, you cannot be charged with that exact crime again. Oh, my God. That, that's used so often in, in uh, lawyer media on TV. And I'm fairly certain that I need to watch all of those with you so you can yell at the screen with me. Oh, there's a lot. And, and that's why I'm like, you know, we can't go through the whole Fifth Amendment today uh, in cases because we will be here. You know, like you could teach a class just about the Fifth Amendment. I bet. Yeah. Uh, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. That's what we're that's, talking that's about today. Pleading the fifth. Okay, that's so we're talking about pleading the fifth. We're talking, okay. yeah. Nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. Nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. So okay, and that's that's kind of what you do. Yeah. Well, not nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. That's a due process clause. That is the one that requires that you be given notice and uh, and have a hearing before you can be deprived of a life, liberty, or property interest. You have to have a trial. You have a right to be heard before you can be deprived okay. of any of those things. And the private property taken for public use without just compensation, that's that's eminent domain. That's what you do. Yeah, that, that's where if the government takes your land, they got to pay you. Okay. Uh, all right, all right. So there's Fifth a, Amendment, easy. I'm sure no one ever argues about this amendment. Oh, that yeah, seems no. very straightforward. So the Fifth Amendment, the self-incrimination clause. Uh how does that apply? Uh, when you are sitting on the, the 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 stand and you don't want to say anything, you mention the number five and you get to sit down. Uh, d- does do you have to be sitting on the stand? I mean, in every movie I've seen, they're sitting on the stand. So now that you've asked the question, my answer is no. Absolutely not. Even absolutely, even if of course not. Even Why if you're not you? under charge. Even if you're not under charge, you don't have to provide evidence against yourself. You you don't. All right. You have a right not to testify against yourself. You have a right not to say anything incriminating. That's actually, you know, you have a right to remain silent. Yes. It's right there, Miranda. That's where this come from, comes from. Oh, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. So. How, when does it apply, though? What, like, what, what, what is there a test to apply, or is it just that the police ask you a question, you can just say, no, Fifth Amendment? It's, I mean, okay, so now this one, I have no basis in reality for this answer, but I had always assumed that the only one who could make you incriminate yourself would be a judge. But when they can do that, I, I, that I honestly don't even know when you are for it sounds like never let me, it sounds like you would never have to do that let me ask establishing that your right to not incriminate yourself is always there it's always okay there. you don't have to be in court you don't have to be testified okay okay uh you have a right 
not to testify against yourself, not to provide information that will incriminate you. Okay. Okay. If the police walk up to you and say, hey, what's your name? Can you say, I plead the fifth? That doesn't sound like it's incriminating you to identify yourself. There you go. It has to be an incriminating statement, right? Okay, so that's a fact. I, right. I, what is your name is just a fact. And, and, okay. the, and the question of is it incriminating or not is does the answer tend to incriminate yourself? Can the answer reasonably lead to information or provide information that can be used to prosecute you? Well, what if, what if I just robbed a bank but I robbed it with a shirt with my name on it. So then by giving my name, that's super incriminating. So I plead the fifth. Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I, actually, that was a serious question. I mean, I mean is, posed in a playful way. Is your name in and of itself incriminating? I suppose you could make it incriminating depending on what you've done, you, you see, but that's still a literal fact, so I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I murdered somebody is a, is a literal fact. Mm. Law is complicated. Don't, okay, I'm going to say that, no, I, I, it doesn't seem like one of the things that you could plead the fifth on, it being your name, but you're going to have to go over why. Is the information oh. in and of itself incriminating? The information would not be incriminating. Right. The question is, does it explicitly or implicitly tend to incriminate? Okay, okay. okay. All right, so no. So you, they, you have to give them your name. Well, I'm, we'll talk about that. Oh, I love this. We'll, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about that. Uh, the second one is... Can we just state for this show there's no answer that is ever yes or no? It's... There is no yes or no answers. The legal answer to almost everything is, it depends. It depends. <laughs> what, yeah, there what, we go. are the facts here? All right, so it has to be an incriminating <laughs> statement, right? Okay. All right. It has to be compelled. If you walk compelled. in and say, like, like if they read you your Fifth Amendment right, and you're like, yeah, I murdered the son of a bitch. Well, that's just you being an idiot. Right. Uh, voluntary statements, like, like you saying something, aren't protected by the Fifth Amendment. It has to be a compelled statement. It has to be a statement that you would not give. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, Otherwise. that makes sense. You can't use the Fifth Amendment to undo your own stupidity. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it it can't be you voluntarily offering the information. It right. has to okay. be compelled. So it has to be okay. a compelled, incriminating statement. That is what a compelled, incriminating statement. That is that the uh, the. Uh, because somebody asked you a question that was that was pushed what, onto you. What, I don't know how to say well, that. Uh, what what is it when you are asked questions and you answer them? What, uh, what, the what are you what are you doing? You're providing what? Information. Information. Being information. What what legally? What would you call it when somebody is providing information? Deposition. De- no, deposing. Well, it's part of a deposition. It's what a deposition gets. It's also what you get on a witness stand. I mean, evidence is what I would call it. What type of evidence? Uh, verbal evidence. I'm sure there's a name for it. You got two of them hanging between your legs, unless you're fur. Oh, oh, testicular evidence. I totally, yep, I forgot about testicular Clo- evidence. Close enough. What? Testimonial what? 
evidence. Oh, you, you, okay. You're just using words that you use in your profession and putting them in front of other words. Testimonial evidence uh, or testimony is uh, or a testimonial statement is a statement that conveys information. Okay. All okay. right. So in order for the Fifth Amendment to be properly asserted, it must be asserted uh, when it is a testimonial statement that okay. you are being compelled to give that would tend to incriminate you. All okay. Right? So we're literally talking about being questioned by another person who's recording your answers. Right. Right. Okay. So if it's not testimonial, if it's not the act of you giving information, right. it's it's not a Fifth Amendment protected statement. Right? Okay. If it does not tend to incriminate you, it is not Fifth Amendment protected. Okay. Okay. And if it is not compelled, if you're just giving the information freely, it is not Fifth Amendment protected. All of that actually makes sense for once. Okay. okay. So now let's go back to 1910. Oh, uh, let's go in that way back machine. Fine. Yeah, we're going to get in the way back machine. We're going to go to the state of Washington. Okay. All right. And we, we are uh, going to go to a military base. Oh, God, the military tribunals. This changes everything. <laughs> no. No, I was ready. I had everything ready to go, and now you have to add in the military tribunal. Uh, our case is Holt versus United States. Uh, it is a United States Supreme Court case. Citation is 218 U.S. 245 1910. All right. Okay. So we're out in Washington. We're on a military reservation. It, it's raining. Right? Yeah, it's it's raining, pouring down. Just always. Just you, you can't you can't uh can't see anything else. Uh it is the Fort Warden, W O R D E N military reservation. Now that's important, uh, because that means that all of this was actually in federal court. Okay? Oh. There, okay. There is a federal murder statute. Normally murder is a state crime. Right. But there is a federal murder statute. And the reason there's a federal murder statute is because there are places in the United States that are exclusively under the jurisdiction of the federal government. Oh, so like uh, 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 nature preserves that Na- aren't Nature statewide. preserves, national parks. Okay. Uh, and military bases. Those are the big okay. ones. Okay. Okay. So it's 1910. They're out there. It's the, uh, the coastal artillery. All right. All right. And uh, there is a gentleman out there uh, named Holt. All right. Holt is stationed uh, with the Coastal Artillery, and uh, there is one guy out there, Henry E. Johnson, also stationed with the uh, mil- with the artillery out on the coast in Washington. And one night, Johnson and Holt get into it uh, on the in the band barracks. So, like, the best I can assume is that these guys are artillery officers who are also in the band. They are artillery officers and musicians. Okay. Okay. And uh, they have some argument. And how do we know they have some argument? Well, because Holt took an iron bar and beat Johnson to death with it. Well, uh, you know what? They got to talk to their lawyers. This usually can be resolved with a slap and a cell phone. So the iron bar went a little too far. Got it. All right. So they uh, they bring Holt in. All right. And they're questioning Holt. Uh, and they, they, they go at him. 
right? And he's making statements. He's making admissions. He's doing all these things. Uh, one of the witnesses is like, oh, no, uh, this is the jacket that was found at the scene. And it looks like one that Holt has and Holt's there. And he's being questioned. He's being compelled. He's under duress. All right. He's not being given an opportunity to refuse things. And he's ordered uh, by uh, by uh, a, uh, uh, the, the investigator, I guess, uh, okay. to to put the jacket on. All right. It's a it's an artilleryman's blouse is what they call it. It's the shirt. It's it's the artillery. It's not even a jacket. It's the shirt. It's the artilleryman's shirt. It's a okay. uniform blouse. He's ordered to put it on to see if it okay. fits to see if it if it's his blouse. So he puts it on and it goes to trial and witnesses testify about the statements that Holt had been made that that he was under duress making regarding all this okay. and about the blouse about how when he tried on the blouse it fit him and it matched the one that he normally had and that got him convicted of murder. Okay. And right, there's other stuff in this as well. Uh, the, the first thing is, should this even be in a federal court? Was it tried in the right court? Because they didn't establish that Fort Warden was a military reservation. Therefore, the court that convicted him didn't have jurisdiction to convict him. Hold on, wait, wait. What, what do they mean? That, that like in the paperwork they didn't say it? Or they didn't fill out the right paperwork to ever have a like, military yeah, base that, there that's, in the first that, place? That second one, that's the argument is oh what, my god was this actually under federal jurisdiction or should have been in state courts that's uh, incredible so so there's a whole discussion in this case about the evidence they needed to show that it was actually a military reservation <laughs> that's amazing uh like at you know the the did the uh did the deeds and the condemnation procedures uh, follow the correct laws? Uh, did the state of Washington really give that land? The Army Corps of Engineers has to testify about the maps and surveys. Oh, dear God. Like, there's this whole thing about whether or not the federal court actually had jurisdiction over it. All right. Uh, now, this, you know, this sounds more like how you do tech work, because usually you would go through trying to get your stuff to work and realize other things are broken. So it sounds like in this case, somebody got murdered and some guy in a back office went, oh, shit, I don't think we own this military base. Well, you got to admit from like the defense perspective, that's pretty like neat <laughs> of a defense. That's like, yeah, he got convicted, but uh you're actually going to have to have a quiet title case to make sure that you own the <laughs> land and therefore can try him. Because otherwise, oh everything's got to start back over in state court. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States commented on it. They're like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> why, why are we doing a quiet title case in a murder conviction? Um, That's amazing. All right, I'm loving this and, and one. Like they, Continue. And, and the, the thing is, is like SCOTUS brings up the fact that, A, they objected to the validity of uh of this all right uh and here's all the testimony that was entered about whether or not the united states government owns that land and then in one sentence it's like based on all that we don't even think we need to talk about this anymore we we think the evidence speaks for itself oh my god all right got it <laughs> the second objection though uh 
was the the fact that Holt was ordered to try on the blouse. And a witness testified that uh, Holt put it on and it fit him. And a, a lot of uh, the, the testimony and the argument in the case to the jury focused on that. Okay. It focused first on on compelled confessions, like statements he made, verbal statements, but then says, and the blouse that was found with the murdered man fit him when he tried it on. So his lawyers say first uh, his, like the testimony regarding his confessions, his actual stated confessions can't come in. All right. That, he had a fifth amendment privilege not to incriminate himself. Uh, therefore the compelled statements that were testimonial in nature that were incriminating can't be referenced. And the Supreme court's like, yeah, okay. However, the blouse, he was ordered, he was compelled to put on the blouse. And the fact that the blouse fit him was something a witness testified that tended to be incriminating. Okay. His lawyers say that should be excluded under the Fifth Amendment, too. Okay. Because he, okay. he was compelled well, to take an incriminating action. But he took the action, and didn't you just tell me if you take it, that's your problem? He was ordered to take the action. Ordered! Okay, but, okay, so now we'll go back to the military tribunal thing. Doesn't the Fifth Amendment not apply? We can, we can even forget about that because it was not raised. It was not raised. That okay. was not raised. Okay, so he was ordered to do this, and, meaning and, that, and you need to, oh. and you need to understand that that Fifth Amendment thing is a separate Fifth Amendment thing from what we're talking about now, because oh, that, because that Fifth Amendment thing was regarding what military tribunals, and they don't need to do what for a military tribunal. Uh, but uh, you in front of a, a jury of your peers? No, an indictment. Oh, 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 okay, got it, got it. Now we're past indictment. That's limited to an indictment. He still has a Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate himself. So, here's the question. When he's ordered to put the blouse on, and he puts it on, and the fact it fits him tends to be incriminating and is relied upon at trial. Was okay. that a violation of his Fifth Amendment right? It sounds like it was because of the fact he was ordered to do it. Yes, I I, I would agree. He was ordered, right? He was ordered, and it sounds like that's not something you're allowed not to do because of where you're at, but it sounds like an order they shouldn't have been able to give because of Fifth Amendment rights. Well, let me ask a question. Yeah? Is putting on a blouse testimonial? Wouldn't it be if that's the cornerstone to their... Uh, Oh, son of a bitch! Is it testimonial or is it merely taking an action? And what is testimonial in that circumstance? The fact that it fit, so that... Mm, but uh, that But does that require him giving any information? It's a fact. Does the blouse fit? Does the blouse fit? Not only that, it requires no operation of the mind. 
Oh my God. He's not giving oh them information that is in his mind. He's... Also, really quick, do you even know? Are these blouses, like when they say it fit, are they talking about, like, yes, these are all tailored at extreme expense and it fit perfectly? Or, yeah, you happen to wear a 2XL? Well, I mean, like, this is 1910, so it wasn't like 2XL and shit. Like, it was, it was sizes. This, these were military uniforms. They didn't have 2XL and, oh, God, thank God I didn't exist in 2010. It's not that they didn't have 2XL, so they didn't call it 2XL. Like, they'd make a standard size, and then you'd get your uniform tailored in to fit you. Oh, okay. All right. So, it wasn't testimonial. It didn't require operation of the mind to convey that. He wasn't conveying information from his mind. He was just show okay. He was oh just ordered God. to put the blouse on. He wasn't conveying information. He was taking an action. Therefore, it was testimonial. Uh, or it was not testimonial. It was yeah, no, no, I follow, I yeah. follow. And and did not the, the Fifth Amendment did not apply to it. But yet that fact was one of the cornerstones of their trial. Right. Now let me ask you a question. <laughs> let's let's go to another question. Okay. All right. Uh, it has been held many times, uh, arising from Holt, that asking somebody to take a simple action like that does not offend the Fifth Amendment. Your question earlier, uh, if I'm asked my name and my name is linked to a bank robbery, can I say I plead the Fifth? Let me ask a question. What if they take your fingerprint. Uh, I, I don't think that's covered by the fifth. I think that's something they're just allowed to do. It is not. Uh, it is not. It is not covered by the fifth. Fingerprints, uh, blood alcohol. They can take blood and breath and urine. Okay. Uh, things that are, are not testimonial in nature. They're just, you're getting this thing. Now, does that mean no constitutional protection applies to them? I would highly doubt that. Right. What constitutional protection may apply to something like, oh, give me your blood? Uh, uh, Oh, my God. What does apply to that? I mean, I got to assume some kind of right to privacy. They're not just allowed to put your blood online. And what protects your right to privacy in a criminal matter? We've covered this. I know we have. I'm trying to think of what it is. It's not the prima donna clause. I know it's not prima donna. God damn it. What is this? This is, uh. You got to have it signed by a judge. Oh, my you God. You got to ask yeah, I'm not, for I'm, it. I'm not going to get I'm not going to remember. It's been a too warrant. long since we did this. A warrant. The oh, Fourth Jesus Amendment Christ. right against unreasonable search and seizure. You can have. Okay. Like things like blood that's not voluntarily given. Uh, there has been. A Supreme Court case uh, in the concept of um, drunk driving that actually said uh, you have to get a warrant for blood. Oh. Yeah. If you're going to use it in prosecution, you have to get a warrant for blood. Uh, Okay. Okay. There there have been Supreme Court cases saying if they're not in custody, you got to get a warrant for fingerprints. Oh, so the whole movie thing where they they grab your uh, water glass and pull your prints off that. That's fine. You just said you need a warrant. No, no, you need a warrant to make you give them their fingerprints. But if you touch a glass 
and set it down and stand up to leave or you throw it in the garbage, well, that's free game. That's, oh, my God. That's not your glass anymore, or that's not your can. Oh, my God. You have far too many colloquies in this. Now, if you take the can with you when you leave, uh, and they tried to take the can off of you, that's a different thing. But if they give you a can of soda, and you drink that can of soda, and you throw it in the garbage can in the interrogation room, and after they, they walk you out somewhere, and somebody walks in and fishes that can out of the interrogation room trash, you've thrown it away. Uh, all right, so what you're saying is we're from now on going to call this the litter bug clause? I like the litter bug well, clause. Well, actually, there's cases about specifically that, and we'll, we'll cover them in a future episode. Awesome. That about, sounds amazing. About when you have abandoned something such that you have no Fourth Amendment expectation of privacy. Because remember, as we discussed in that Fourth Amendment case, the Fourth Amendment really protects your expectation of privacy. I love it. Okay. Got it. Got okay. it. Oh. <clears throat> so, uh, establishing that a, a Fourth Amendment thing can be uh, not protected by the Fifth Amendment. You know, they giving blood they they have every right to demand you give blood to force you to give blood by warrant okay, okay. uh where the fifth amendment would come in was if the court said we had if they came in and said we have a warrant for your blood well now they have a court order requiring them to take the blood uh and you say no i have a fifth amendment right not to incriminate myself and they say yeah that's not a testimonial you know, giving blood's not testimonial. Testimonial, okay. So the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply here. We just have to jump the Fourth Amendment hurdle, not the Fifth Amendment hurdle. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Okay. I'm following so far. Now let's say they come and they they serve you not a warrant, but a subpoena because you can subpoena items, right? Or okay. maybe even a warrant. And they say, hey, there was a guy shot down the street from you last night. Yeah, so a guy that you hate is shot down the street from you the night before. Right. Okay. And you shot him. Like, you killed him. You did it. You have the gun. It's in your basement. Okay. And the government serves you a subpoena for any Colt forty-five in your possession. Is that protected by the Fifth Amendment? Can you say it doesn't matter whether you have a warrant or not? I don't have to give it to you because I'd incriminate myself. I I can't imagine it would be because they have the warrant and that's Fourth Amendment. Oh God damn it! Yeah, because that's 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 gathering evidence. That's not a. Uh, 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 oh, they can talking. They can gather evidence. That's not the question. Can they? Do compel, you have to? Can they compel you? To provide them with self-incriminating testimony. So no, because you just said it. So this time it's going to be testimonial because it's the, How? the gun? How? How? Are you saying anything? They're not asking you to say anything. They're just asking you to give them the gun. They're, they're, they're ordering you that if you have a Colt 45 of this make and model, hand it over. Holy shit. They're not asking you to say anything. They're just asking you to do something. I mean, I'm going to guess the only way to get out of that one is literally to lie and say you don't have it because it's a warrant. So I got to go with no, it's not protected. 
Really? No, I guess not. I freaking guess not. Remember at the beginning when I said that uh, the, the Fifth Amendment is designed against explicit or implicit self-incrimination? Okay. But at, you have the gun. Explicit. Explicit is I did it. I didn't do it. I was here. I was there. Statements. That's you saying. Right. Implicit. Right. Now that one I get. I get that one. So uh, what does implicit mean? I, apparently, I don't know. Implicit is just implied by. It, it implies something, right? Okay. So if you are ordered to hand over the gun used in a killing, and right. you then hand over the gun, what does that imply? That implies that you killed them. Because. But that's. But because. I, because. Because you're saying this is the gun used to kill them. I have the gun. The so fact- if they. Okay, so maybe I misunderstood. I thought you said the warrant was if you have any if gun. If you have of a this- Colt 45 of that type. Now, you, you know, in your mind, you know that that Colt 45 in your possession is the murder weapon. Okay. Okay. Now, they, let, let's say the government doesn't know whether you have a Colt 45 or not. But they okay. they get a warrant or a subpoena demanding you hand over any Colt forty five in your possession. Does it okay. matter whether the government knows that it was the one used in the shooting or not for the Fifth Amendment to apply? No, no absolutely not. No, not at all. It matters that you know that 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 is the gun used in the murder. Okay, so hold on. Let me make sure I understand this. You get a guy shows up at your door, an officer of the court shows up at your door, says, if you have this particular gun handed over, you say no. no you you, you say, say I, I I take the fifth. Right. And then you close the door on his face. I mean, he's going to arrest you, but yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he arrests you, you go to trial. Aren't you going to get a, a and, and you say, isn't there a penalty for them going like, well, we asked him for any guns of this model. He had a gun of that model. He did not give it over, but we had a warrant. Well, first of all, and this is the question, if you're ordered to produce something, how would it be protected by the fifth? It's not because a statement. Be, it's not a statement. Right. It's an admission. You have it. It is an implicit. It is an implicit admission, or or even implicitly incriminated. When we subpoenaed him for the Colt forty five, he produced a Colt forty five, and the victim was shot with a Colt forty five. It tends to be incriminating. Just the mere fact that you were able to hand over the thing uh, they were no, looking I agree for. There. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That is known as the production doctrine. Uh- Okay, now it's making more sense when you think of it under somebody who didn't do it. Okay. I, oh, wow, that's fucked up. Remember, the base, that is fucked up. The baseline of these protections is not, it, they exist to get guilty people out of shit, but to protect innocent people. So oh, you always have to wow. look at it from that angle when you're trying to understand them. Why does why does do all these protections exist to protect innocent people when it comes to these criminal amendments? When it comes to these criminal protections? Yeah. Okay, no, no, this actually now it makes sense. Okay, so, Holt says something that's that's not an operation of the mind. 
uh, cannot be protected by the Fifth Amendment. All right. But later cases say, well, wait a second. Sometimes the mere act of responding to the order or subpoena and handing them something of the type they're looking for implicitly incriminate you. Because if you if you could not be incriminated by that, you wouldn't have it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, wow. Now, let's say, oh, it's tax records. All right. Say you're you're accused of tax fraud. All right. All right. And the United States government subpoenas all of your your tax preparation documents. Okay. Okay. And you say I shouldn't have to hand those over. Okay. All right. What do you think? You think they say yay or nay? Well, Trump got away with it, so I'm going to say they say, all right, understood. You don't have to give us those. Mm. Well, yes and no. See, there is answer that's yes. You can't keep asking me yes or no questions when the answer is flambe. That's, not- <laughs> that's, not, that's how law works. Ah, fucking flambe. Remember, in law, it depends and maybe are always valid answers. Uh, uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, does the fact that you have prepared and filed a tax return necessarily incriminate you? No. No. Do documents related to it necessarily incriminate you? No. no. Were you compelled to create those documents? Yes. No. You already had them. Sorry, you said create. I was thinking yeah. produce. You were okay, compe- no. compelled to create them. You already had them. You already have them. All right. So can they say that the fact you're producing these documents indicates uh, or tend to incriminate you? No, because it's not the production that tends to incriminate you. It's what's included in them. Which leads... And yet- and but, yet when producing the gun, holy shit, dude. Because and this this is a fun one. It's what's known as the foregone conclusion document uh, doctrine. Oh, my God. The Fifth Amendment would bar it, except the government knows it exists. They know it's in your possession. Uh, oh, <laughs> Oh, my God. And they know it's authentic. Those are the three things. You know- really quick, then. I need to go back to the gun clause, then, because don't you have to fill out paperwork to show that you own ah, that gun? That, that's the question, though, because I didn't say the government says your Colt 45 that we know you have. I said oh, a Colt a 45. Right. So, Holy shit. And, and I want to be clear. These aren't hypotheticals. Like the tax documents I just went through. That was okay. a case arising out of the Whitewater investigation. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. A, a, oh, gov- wow. a, a government witness was later uh, demanded to hand over certain financial documents. And he said, no, they tend to be incriminating. And the government said, well, first of all, no, they're not. Uh, because... 
the documents themselves. Like the mere act of handing them over doesn't fall into the production document. Other people have them. We have other sources to get them. Okay. Okay. Two, we already know you have them. We know you have them. We know where they're kept. We know what they contain. And we know they're authentic. So handing them over to us does nothing more than confirm what we already know. The foregone conclusion documents, a foregone conclusion that the government will be able to obtain those documents. Because why? If they got a warrant for those documents, they could, they know where they are. They know what they're looking for. It's the specificity of the warrant. If they got that warrant, they could go and get those documents without you being a part of it whatsoever. Okay. And that's really the test for the foregone conclusion document. We're going to get it anyways. That's, okay. You know, if we if we want to go get a warrant, we know where it is. We know it's authentic. We already know it's your document. If we go get a warrant for it, we're going to get it anyways. Okay. All okay. right. <clears throat> now, uh, here's a question. Yeah. All right. It is 2023. Uh, Agreed. Yes, a yes answer. We finally have one. So, everybody walks around with a little computer in their pocket. Agreed. Okay. Now, I have a question for you. Say that a search warrant is issued for your cell phone. Okay. And you have your cell phone locked with either Face ID or the fingerprint lock. A bio- okay. biometric lock. Okay. okay. And the government has your phone. And in the warrant, they get a, a search warrant that compels you to unlock your phone using your face or your finger. Okay. So that they can access it and get to the information inside. Okay. And you know that the information inside your phone is highly incriminating. Okay. Do you have a Fifth Amendment right not to comply with that search warrant? I would say the answer is yes. You do have a Fifth Amendment right that you do not need to unlock your phone. Well, why? Because they cannot get that information anywhere else, and that is incriminating. Mm. That is not something they know. They don't know what's in there. As you, like that seems to be what you're saying. They don't know what's in there, so they have no reason. Well, that's the foregone conclusion document. But let me ask, as we covered earlier, if you're arrested for a DUI, yeah. you don't have a Fifth Amendment right to object to them taking your blood, which is going to to show that you are drunk. Right. And as we established earlier, you may have a Fourth Amendment interest uh, against them taking your fingerprints. But you don't have a Fifth Amendment interest against them taking your fingerprints. Why? Because those aren't testimonial in nature. But it seems like the cell phone would be because there's nothing but your private information on there. But they're not getting the cell phone. That's not what you're, you would have the Fifth Amendment right. I mean, your logic's flawless. If you take my fingerprint, you can unlock my cell phone and get my incriminating information. But they're not telling you to tell them what's on the phone. They're telling you to put your finger on the phone to unlock it. 
But you know that that will be incriminating. You know that. Yeah, I, I agree. But the question is, do uh, you have a Fifth Amendment right to refuse to comply with the search warrant for your fingerprint on the phone? I, Even though you are trying to get me to say no, I'm still going to say you do because I also have the right to cut off my damn fingers before they show up with the warrant. Let me ask real quick. Uh, I, I, no, I, I want to hear your reasoning on it. Why do you believe that this that the action of taking your finger and putting it on the phone to unlock it is testimonial? Because you are giving them all the evidence that they need to convict, and they do not have the ability to get that evidence anywhere else. Because the first two steps of the Fifth Amendment are absolutely met. It's compelled. You're doing it under order from a search warrant, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know it's going to be incriminating. Yeah. Okay, so the only question is, is that action testimonial? Is, is giving them your fingerprint to unlock the phone Because you know what it's going to be used for? I'm going to uh, still say yes. What information does it convey? It, conv- it, it By doing that, it's conveying that you're guilty. How? That, uh, what, because what, of the, what does the because act, of the information what does the action of putting your phone your finger on the phone convey what does that do unlocks and gives them access how, to the information how does it unlock it biometrically by, which, which means a, some, which means something scans the information you've given your your fingerprint right and takes an action to unlock the phone to open it right because that's, that's really what it is with testimonial. You are conveying information by operation of mind. You are, acti- uh, you okay. are actively conveying that information, right? Okay, yeah, agreed, agreed. So that means that you are saying everything on my phone is is yours, that right. you can use that information. So, so that fingerprint, it is your position that that fingerprint, providing that fingerprint is testimonial, and therefore, regardless of the search warrant, you have a Fifth Amendment right not to provide the fingerprint to unlock the phone. Actually, I am going to stick with that one until you correct me. Yes. I'm not going to correct you. You know why? Why? You're half right. Okay. The, I'm going to choose to not listen to the fraction and throw some balloons in the air because I was right for once. There is a case. It's out of the Eastern District <laughs> of Kentucky. Uh, in Ray search warrant number five, one, six, five, uh, it's a 2020 case and it's not precedential. Uh, when you hear Eastern district, that means it, it was a federal district court. Okay. Okay. Uh, so a search warrants issued by the Eastern district of Kentucky, uh, targeting to seize a cell phone, computers, and other electronic devices on a premises, right? Okay. Uh, the search warrant goes into everything that's looked for, uh, including the right of law enforcement to compel all individuals present to unlock any electronic devices requiring biometric access subject to seizure pursuant to the warrant. Okay. And it goes right. into uh, to define like touch ID and face ID, uh, anything that is like a, a facial or fingerprint scan okay okay so one of the guys says wait a second even if your warrant is valid you shouldn't have the right under the fifth amendment to require me to unlock my phone because the information on that phone may tend to incriminate me 
Yeah. Okay. The Eastern District's case on this uh, goes through a lot of Supreme Court precedent. Uh, United States v. Hubble, uh, that is the 2000 case. That's the Whitewater case okay. that, that we were talking about. Uh, yeah, the, there's uh, Hill versus the 6th Judicial District. Uh, Fifth Amendment only prohibits compelled testimony that is incriminating. Uh, everything like that. But... They disagree with you in this case. They say, uh, they say, in order to be testimonial, and this is from the United States. This is the United States opinion, uh, Doe v. United States, uh, Supreme Court, nineteen eighty-eight. All right. Okay. Uh, in order for something to be testimonial, the communication must explicitly or implicitly relate to a factual assertion or disclose information. Okay. 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 The communication or act must do those things on its own. All right. However, compelled conduct, as we saw back in Holt. Okay. Is not protected by the Fifth Amendment. Uh, uh, ah. It is not testimonial because the mere act of putting your finger on the phone doesn't communicate information. You are not making any mental processes to convey that information. You're not providing that information. Your phone is, and your phone is being unlocked with your finger or your phone is being unlocked with your face. But it is conduct, not testimony, much like Back in 1910, putting on that blouse. Oh, my God. The reason I say you're half right is biometrics have not been explicitly addressed by the United States Supreme Court when it comes to the Fifth Amendment. Really? And there has been a circuit split on that question as to whether you can be compelled to use your fingerprint or your face or your eye scan to unlock a device in a way that is appropriate or permissible under the Fifth Amendment. There is a circuit split on this. And that means some of the federal circuits, uh, a minority of them, I believe, are saying, no, compelling someone to unlock a device containing incriminating information with their fingerprint is... Just the same as asking them to tell you that. And others are saying, no, it's not. It's conduct, not testimonial in nature. The mere act of putting your finger on the phone conveys no incriminating information. Okay. Okay. The discussion on this, and and there's a case, it's uh, a Justice Holmes of the Supreme Court used it years and years and years ago, is the Fifth Amendment uh, protections are the difference between asking someone to give you the combination to a safe that may contain incriminating information and asking someone to give you the key to a lockbox that may contain incriminating information. One is protected, the other is not. What the fuck? Handing someone a key to a lockbox is not in and of itself incriminating. 
giving them that key does not tend to incriminate. You can still say, I don't know what's in that lockbox, or I didn't put that in that lockbox, or somebody gave me the key to that lockbox, and I've oh. never opened it. Okay. Giving someone the combination to your wall safe first is not just conduct, but it is spoken. It is explicit at that point. It requires a mental operation. You are giving them that code. And while giving someone the code to a wall safe alone may not be incriminating, the fact that you have the combination to that wall safe that means that you had access means just you, okay means you had definite access restricted access so it's the difference between compelled conduct and compelled speech compelled testimony some operation of the mind that is conveying wow. information the first the 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 key in and of itself conveys no information you're not saying the key is in the top drawer you're handing them a key The first one is not only uh, much closer in the production document, it's a limited thing that you have access to, but it is also you are making a mental operation to give them. Let's go back to the tax documents that we were talking about, right? Okay. Give me the tax documents that you showed your lawyer. Yes or no Fifth Amendment? Do they have a warrant? Uh, Yeah, we're going to say they have a warrant. In that case, no, because they can get it from another source, and these are documents that the government is aware already exist. Right. Foregone conclusion. Foregone conclusion. Okay. All right. Give me all of your business documents regarding tax that tend to indicate fraud. That is covered because that is not information that they necessarily have because they don't know what those documents are they don't know what you have not only that did you catch that tend to indicate fraud that tend to indicate right who makes that determination that would be the court that would be you you're the one responding to the order Oh, oh 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 i see okay okay and determining which documents are and aren't responsive is what that's the, 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 the court's job. An operation of your mind. Uh, okay. You're All going right. I... through that. So the best way to put it is the Fifth Amendment, as it stands right now, will protect you from things that tend to incriminate you, uh, either explicitly or implicitly under the production doctrine. You know, the mere fact right. that you are producing it can, can in and of itself tend to incriminate you. Okay. And... Mental impressions, things that you have to use your mind for and likely express verbally or in writing. Okay. Okay. Dear God. Let's go to Pennsylvania in 2019. Oh, this just happened. All right. Okay. Uh, It's actually a 2014 case. All right. Uh, it's come uh, or started in 2014. This case is actually it's a 2019 case in the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, uh, Commonwealth v. Davis. Uh, citation is 220A3D534, uh, PA, Pennsylvania Supreme Court, 2019. So 2014. All right. 
the office of the attorney general is investigating child pornography. Okay. Okay. Uh, and as part of their investigation, they discover that uh, a computer at an IP address registered with Comcast has repeatedly used uh, used Emule, a, a file sharing service, to share child pornography. Okay. Okay. Uh, the investigators have have done it. They they have. Uh, made a one-to-one connection with that computer. They downloaded a file that contained child pornography, uh, saved it for the investigation. They get a warrant. They compel Comcast to provide the subscriber information. Uh, they identify a guy named Joseph Davis at his address. All right. October 2015, they go out to his apartment with a search warrant based upon all that. Uh, they seize his computer and HP Envy desktop. All right, Davis okay. is Mirandized. He, he's given those Miranda warnings you see on TV. Uh, and he tells the agents after being Mirandized that he's the only one who lives in the apartment, uh, that nobody else uses the computer by him, uh, but him. And he uses a hardwire internet service that is protected with a password, so nobody from the public could have been downloading things on his IP address. Uh, he also tells them... Hey, I know the password to that computer. Uh, he says, uh, yeah, there's there's porn on my computer. I think it's all legal. Uh, he then tells them, by the way, um, <laughs> by the way, I've been previously arrested for child porn. And it's it's legal in other countries, so I don't think it's a big deal. Oh, yeah, this one's a genius. Got it. Keep okay. going. So they uh, like they, they arrest him, obviously, right? Right. Um, and they seize his computer, and the, the attorney general's agent is like, uh, hey, what's the password? And Davis, at this point, grows a single brain cell and says, you know what? I don't think I'm going to give you my password. I, my password... Uh, is is not something I'm going to give you. So they 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 arrest Davis. They're driving him in to be arraigned, and okay. while he's in the back of the police vehicle, uh, he starts talking once again about his love of pornography, and um, states that he. God, I hate this man with every fiber of my being. So uh, I'm right there with you. States that he particularly likes watching 10, 11, 12, and 13-year-olds. What the flying fuck? Yeah. Um, the agent, of course, again says, hey, why don't you give me the password to your computer? And the guy responds, Davis responds, um, no. It's 64 characters. Why would I give that to you? We both know what's on there. It's only going to hurt me. No fucking way I'm giving it to you. Okay. All right. Um, he then, I mean, like, this guy's hitting the, the worst human being. Yeah, no, this is like, one of the worst ones we've talked yeah, about. Because later he's in his jail cell and another agent is talking to him. Uh-huh. Uh, and he says, I don't get why it's illegal to watch movies in the privacy of my own home, which, you know what, motherfucker? It's not illegal to watch movies in the privacy. You didn't get arrested yeah. for watching Avatar. 
Yeah, no shit. Okay, it's not, it's not the it's what movies you're watching. Yeah. I no one kicked down your door for Oppenheimer or Barbie. Uh, or Barbieheimer. Yeah. Uh, Larry, the the agent there's like, um, you know, hey, can you can you remember your password? And David says, even if I could, it'd be like putting a gun to my head and pulling the trigger. Uh, and then says, yeah, I'm going to die in jail if I ever give you my password. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, all this goes on. Um, they, they send the computer out to forensics. Forensics looks at the computer, comes back and says, yeah, this has something called TrueCrypt on it. The entire hard drive uh, is encrypted and we can't read anything on the computer without opening TrueCrypt. Like, we, we can't do anything without knowing the password here, all right? Oh we, uh... we don't know specifically what's on this computer uh, because we can't even see file names. We can just see they have Windows, they have TrueCrypt, everything is in TrueCrypt, all right? Okay. Uh, Davis is charged with two counts of disseminating child pornography. Those would be those files that the Office of Attorney General were able to download during the course of their investigation when they linked up to right. the computer, which is normal, by the way. Like, it sounds bad, but that's that's how they catch these fuckheads. That, that's, right. that's how they catch them, is they basically go on file sharing sites and they download, uh, they being the investigators, the Attorney General's office, uh, the FBI, the state police, uh, they download those files and then they take that file with the IP information and they get a uh, get a warrant. And now they've confirmed that, hey, we know at least these two files that we download in the course of our investigation came from your fucking computer that you've already been. At. You're the only one with access to. You're the only exactly. one on your network yeah. uh, that you live alone there. You know, we've got you on that. We've got you. Yeah. We we don't we don't need this at this moment in time. But we've gone. That's that's how they do that. Okay. Right. Um. So the the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania brings a motion in court. Uh. They say uh, we we want to compel Davis to give us his password. We want this court to order him to give us the password. All right. Okay. Davis comes back and says. Uh, I, you can't order me to do it. I have a Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate myself. Uh, and that right means I don't have to give you my password. Now, is he right in that argument? Just base level without getting into any exceptions. Is he right in that argument? How is this different from put your finger on the phone and unlock it? So the my only thought to that is because he already admitted to all no, of no, no, no. it. We're, we're, not, we're not even getting into that part. We're yet. not getting into that part. Just, just base level. He's being ordered to give them the password. And he's saying, so I have a case, th- th- right talking, not to. In that case, it sounds more like the safe, the, the safe in there your you wall. So, no, he by the Fifth Amendment, he does not need to give them that password. 100% correct. He doesn't have to give them the password because it's an operation of his mind to give them that password. It's different than just putting your finger on a touchpad and unlocking it. He has to operate his mind, go through a mental process to recall the password, and then communicate to Wow. Yeah, you just went very weird on your audio. 
Thank you for joining us today on Eagle Funhouse. Perfect. All right. The fact that he has that password is going to end up incriminating him, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So that is protected by the Fifth Amendment. Like saying, here is my password in and of itself isn't an incriminating statement. But the giving of the password implies that he has the access so anything on that computer can be used against him to incriminate him. Agreed. Okay. So that alone. Now, the Commonwealth comes in, right? Right. And the first, the trial court hears that argument. All right. And the trial court uh, says, uh, this is the Luzerne County Trial Court, comes in and says, the touchstone of whether an act of production is testimonial is whether the government compels the individual to use the contents of his own mind to explicitly or implicitly communicate some statement of fact. All right. The court then looks at, at the foregone conclusion analysis. Okay. All right. And notes that the rationale under that doctrine, the foregone conclusion doctrine, <clears throat> which, by the way, was established in the uh, United States Supreme Court case Fisher v. U.S. I'll give the site 425 U.S. 391. It's a 1976 U.S. Supreme Court case. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes uh, for, for folks as well. Uh, but notes that the rationale is the act of production does not involve testimonial communication if the facts are already known to the government such that the individual adds little or nothing to the sum total of the government's information. All right. Okay. And it goes through what the government has to show. We discussed it earlier. Existence of the evidence, possession or control of the evidence by the defendant, uh, authenticity of the evidence. That the government has to establish it already knows those three things. Okay. So the court says, I'm going to apply the foregone conclusion analysis here. Okay. Okay. And, And the court says, well... Uh, it was a computer that was hardwired into his internet access only in his house uh, that he admitted was encrypted and that he was the only user of and that he was the only one who knew the password. And he kept saying, we both know what's on that. So the Commonwealth's pretty certain that it contains child pornography. Yeah. All right. So did that meet the foregone conclusion analysis according to the trial court? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that they first, you know, we know that he has child pornography on that computer. Yeah, right? we, we know we know, that we, we, we are reasonably certain it exists and it is there. Okay? Jeez. We are reasonably certain that uh, our, uh, that he has possession or control of that, that nobody else had it. It was just him. And yeah. we're reasonably certain that it's all authentic. So the court in Luzerne County comes back and says, uh, the foregone conclusion uh, doctrine means that he can be compelled to hand over the password because he's not giving them any new information. All right? That they they know all this stuff already. Right. Okay. Uh, the appellant then filed what's called an interlocutory appeal which isn't uncommon in criminal matters for stuff like this. Why? Uh, first, most appeals are taken from final orders, meaning at the end of the case. You, you raise all the issues at the end of the case. But there's sometimes you can't wait till the end of the case to raise the issue. Like in this situation, 
he'd go through the entire case before that matter was considered, meaning the jury would already hear all of this. There'd be a retrial, all this stuff. If it went through and then at the end of the case, it was reversed. An interlocutory appeal, which you do, there's very few ones that you can take as of right. Uh, normally you ask the court for permission to take an interlocutory appeal, which means in the middle of the case, we're going to, we're going to hit the pause button on the case to appeal this issue up because it's such a big issue that can determine the course of the case. It needs to be heard before we go any further. Okay. Uh, the trial court says, okay, yeah, you can take an interlocutory appeal. It goes to the Pennsylvania superior court, which is the intermediate court for all appeals in Pennsylvania that does not involve the government. Okay. All right. The Superior Court looks at it and says, yeah, Fifth Amendment is not offended. Uh, why? Uh, because foregone conclusion. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, well, actually, first, they they go in and say, is it testimonial? It's just giving a password testimonial in nature. All right. Okay. Uh, now... They they then go, okay, it's not violated because of the foregone conclusion exception. Yes, yeah, it's testimonial. No, it's not, vi- the Fifth Amendment is not violated because it's already a foregone conclusion based on everything else. They, you know, he, he, he basically admitted that there was child porn on the computer. Uh, you know, he knew it was sufficiently in his possession and control only. It was authentic because he was the only one who was in possession and control of it. Uh, it didn't add anything, right? Right. Okay. The Supreme Court, after the Superior Court says, nope, it's fine. They ask the Pennsylvania Supreme Court to hear the appeal. Now, okay. now, in a lot of places, the with the U.S. Supreme Court, it's it's called certiorari, uh, writ of certiorari, and that's the the request. In Pennsylvania, we say alicotter, uh, and alicotter is just it's the same thing. It's they asked the court to hear the appeal, and the court said okay. Um, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court grants alicotter. They say we will hear this appeal. Okay. On one question, may an a a accused party be compelled to disclose orally a memorized password to computer over the invocation of the Fifth Amendment privilege. All right? Okay. How do you think the Pennsylvania Supreme Court came down? I actually think they're going to say that, no, you cannot. And you're absolutely right. They, they... Uh, no, because I, I get everything that you're saying here, but they got him, and the incrimination isn't that he has child porn on there. We know that. He's being, he's got that. What they don't know is how much. And, and that's, that, that's there you go. what it is. And that's actually, that's the first one. First of all, they say it's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah, <laughs> because you have no idea. That yeah. thing definitely has terabytes of kitty porn. Yeah, for, first. That's, oh, God. Yeah. First, it, it's, it's not a foregone conclusion. You don't know what was on it. Uh, you, you, Can we both just at this point state how much I hate that that was the solution? Yeah. But legally, for the first time, I can say legally, all right, I kind of get this one. But I'm angry it's the case. It, it, it is basically, uh, yeah, we get where you're coming from. But you don't know everything that's on it. Yep. Okay. You, oh you, don't, you don't know everything that is on that computer. You you suspect yeah. that some of these files uh, are on there. Uh, 
but you don't know what is on it. Yeah, Amazing. You can't compel the testimonial act, the telling <laughs> of that password. And the foregone conclusion doctrine will not let you do it because you cannot say to a certainty, to, to some certainty, that there's nothing else on that computer that would tend to incriminate him, that that's all that's on it. Yeah. So it could indeed give you more evidence of additional crime. Yeah. So the foregone conclusion doctrine will not apply because you don't know what's on it. You you know some of what's on it, but and this may this is kind of a special thing. You know, uh, if you have a hundred child porn images on your computer, do you know how many laws you've broken? A hundred? A hundred, because every image is a separate charge. Yeah, okay. So right now, they've got two. Yeah, okay. So that is exactly what's going on here. Oh, oh my God. Holy shit. And the court points this out. Like, like the court is it goes to, to lengths in this decision. Uh that basically says, you know, number one, you don't know everything that's on the computer. Uh, number two, the foregone conclusion doctrine. Uh, do you know how many times it's been applied since the Supreme Court of the United States created it in 1976? Like once. <laughs> like, like, the, really? like the Supreme Court has only ever held in one other case on the foregone conclusion doctrine. Holy shit. Wow. Uh, so, so there's like no case law regarding this uh, wow. because, because they'd be clear cut cases. Oh. Like they, they, yeah. they'd be clear cut cases. We already know it. it. This is really like the hail Mary shot of, we know exactly what's on this USB drive. Um, you know, but we need oh. you to unlock it. That's where the foregone conclusion doctrine comes in. In many other cases, it's just, we're going to get a warrant. <laughs> you know, you can wow. you can give it to. Oh, we're gonna go get a warrant for it. One of the two, um, and they they actually bring up that question that that you talked about earlier. This question, okay, Let the me, prima donna, uh, not the prima donna, but my name. Oh shit! In a case called Munez. Uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court had addressed, or the the Supreme Court of the United States had addressed uh, questions asked to a drunk driver. Okay, okay. Uh, he was asked for identifying information like his name, his address, his date of birth, the date of his sixth birthday. All right. Okay. And the court was considering whether or not those statements, his responses, were testimonial and subject to Fifth Amendment privilege. Okay. okay. This and this whole thing happened because uh, he wasn't given Miranda warnings, All right? So it's not like they, but he wasn't given Miranda warnings. All okay. Right? Uh, now, depictions, descriptions of his speech, like his responses, being described as slurred, while incriminating for a DUI charge, were held to not be testimonial. Okay, because it wasn't the content of the communication. Right. right. Okay. It's like physical. It's it's more like the fingerprint. You know, phys- okay. Got it. However, substances of uh, the substance, the, the the content of other answers were testimonial. Ah. Uh. All right. Why? Because all they asked was like his name, his address, his birthday. 
how he responded, like like the manner, the the physical characteristics of his speech weren't testimonial. But right. the content of some of the other answers were. Why? Oh, you got me on this one. What why? Because it's you're saying it's just facts about him. Is is and the government can get those. They're on his driver's license. Yeah, they can get them. They're on his driver's license. He couldn't remember his birthday. Oh shit! He was so drunk he oh, couldn't remember his shit. birthday. Shit. Okay, so he was so drunk he couldn't remember his birthday, but that information could be due to multiple reasons. But it indicates... It's indicate it's a self-incriminating... It is, it is an implicit self-incriminating statement. His response to the question, what is your birthday, was incriminating not oh. because of how it was answered, but because he couldn't answer it. He forgot his own birthday. Oh, Jesus. And he was being charged with the DUI. So the government... Like the court came in and said uh, that the Fifth Amendment spares an accused from having to reveal directly or indirectly knowledge of facts relating him to the offense or from having to share his thoughts and beliefs with the government. All right. Oh, my God. So since he couldn't remember, that would be incriminating. So he could plead the fifth on birthday because since he couldn't remember, oh, my God. The court's reasoning was that when he was asked about his birthday, he either had to admit he did not know and therefore help incriminate himself for being too drunk to drive. Yeah. Or lie. Oh, my God. Which the court referred to as a cruel trilemma. Trilemma? Trilemma. So not a dilemma, a trilemma. Right. It, 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 it wasn't uh, a, a bad choice. It was a, a bad choice between three answers. Answer, admit you don't know, or lie. Holy Or remain shit. silent. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's amazing. So to go back to your question earlier about when you're asked your name, do you have to give it to them? No, you don't. You may not have to. If, it, if, if the content of your answer would tend to incriminate you. Because at that moment, I couldn't remember my own name. That would be incriminating, so I took the fifth. Now, the, I was under so much duress from being pulled over, I couldn't think of my own name, and I didn't want to lie. Oh, my God, what a wild answer. Now, let's just be clear in the vast majority of situations, because the information that he was asked to provide in this, in Munez, it by itself wasn't incriminating. And there's a whole thing about, right. about you know, that typically your name, your age, your, your where you live – those aren't incriminating statements. All right. They don't, they don't yeah, tend right. to incriminate. In the Munez case, it was he couldn't remember his birthday. So there was no way he could answer that question without incriminating wow. himself or committing perjury or lying. Son of a bitch. Both, okay. of, both of which would have tended to incriminate him. Yeah. So in uh, back to Davis, uh, the court goes down uh, and basically says, we don't like this. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, we don't like reaching this conclusion. 
right? Holy shit. Uh, like, we, we agree. This guy's just a horrible person. But uh, that that can't be the reason we throw out this protection. Uh, and I want to read the the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's uh, statement here. We, oh, please. We acknowledge that, at times, constitutional privileges are an impediment to the Commonwealth, requiring the Commonwealth to do the heavy lifting and deed to shoulder the entire load in building and bringing a criminal case without a defendant's assistance may be inconvenient and even difficult. Yet to apply the foregone conclusion rationale in these circumstances would allow the exception to swallow the constitutional privilege. Nevertheless, this constitutional right is firmly grounded in the realization that the privilege, while sometimes a shelter to the guilty, is often a protection to the innocent. Holy shit. Wow. Okay, that's wildly interesting, man. So uh, the court basically said, you know, yeah, we, we hate that. We, we hate doing this, but we agree with with Davis over here because not because we like Davis, not because we think Davis is innocent, but more because we don't want to create a precedent in this Commonwealth that the government can just say, that's ah, a foregone conclusion. They indicated to us that, uh, that they had criminal material on that. So we can compel them to give us the passwords so we can prove it. Wild. Because... Fucking wild. And this is the key. It goes back to something I've mentioned to you before. Blackstone's ratio. Oh, right. it Uh, It is the hallmark, supposed to be the hallmark of criminal law. Which one? That's the uh, 10 people go free or 100 people go free? It is better that 10 guilty people go free than one innocent be wrongfully convicted. Wow. Oh, wow. And we don't always apply that. But in this situation, that was one where the court said we can't allow the exception and an exception that in the 40 odd years since it was created by the United States Supreme Court has been very sparingly used and only really referenced by the court one other time. We can't allow that to be so broadly construed as to wipe away the Fifth Amendment protection against somebody giving you the password to their safe. Okay. Now, let me ask you one last question. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to get it wrong. Even after this, I'm still going to get it wrong. Continue. Let's say uh, the police go to arrest a drug dealer. All right. right? And a shootout ensues. Okay. And the drug dealer dies. And his body is taken to a funeral home. And the police, in searching the home, find the drug dealer's iPhone. Okay. And the iPhone has a biometric lock on it. Oh, dear God. And the police break into the funeral home. (laughs) Take the drug dealer's cold, dead hand and place it on the phone to unlock the finger ID so they can access the phone and find out his contacts. Holy shit. Does that violate any constitutional privilege? Okay, so because there's no such thing as a yes or no answer, 
My two would be that they are not allowed to do that because those contacts are not their information. However, I'm now going to go back to an old one we talked about. Isn't that corpse property of the courts so they can do whatever they want with it? First of all, who has the right to assert a constitutional violation? The court. No, the person whose whose right has been violated. Oh, 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 oh. But they're not a person anymore in the court's they're eyes, dead. are they? And and, yeah. who, and who would be harmed? The drug dealer's not incriminating himself. He's dead. Agreed. The drug dealer can't assert a right to privacy interest. He's dead. Maybe his family or next of kin could. The heirs of his estate. But, and here's another question, who are the police going to use the information they obtain against the people in their contact list, other... And what privacy interest or property interest do they have in someone else's cell phone? None. So who... Who would get the evidence thrown out? That's not, once again, not a hypothetical. The police in Florida and police in Louisiana have both actually done that. Holy shit! Oh, wow, dude. And there, there are way too many weird laws. And that is this episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse, the case of the self-incriminating blouse. <laughs> you come up with the best shit, man. That was a <laughs> wild journey. Oh, I just, I, I, I read on this and I just went, oh no, we're doing this one. Like, like, yeah, definitely. Like the modern case. Really sucks. Uh, by the way, very much so. Davis did end up going to prison. Just want to point that out. Oh, thank, like, God. I, thank I, God. I searched. I looked that one up. Uh, matter, of fact, matter of fact, I'll I'll look it up again right now. I'll tell Yay. you. I'll, I'll tell Happy you tell you what his sentence was. Um, because yeah, that was that that was brutal at the end there. Um. But honestly, man, brutal is the way we're learning this stuff. We have had so many brutal cases so far. And and to be honest, that's how it happens sometimes. uh, Yeah. Is you see these cases and you're like, oh, everybody here is horrible. And you don't sympathize with them at all. You you don't. You're not like, oh, yeah, no, that guy, he he had his rights trampled on. You're not doing that with the guy who's like, yeah, if you see what's on my computer, I'm going to jail for life. Uh, And I like like to to watch little kids be abused. Yeah, that's that's not nobody's nobody's jumping up for this guy's defense here, except the people who are paid to do it. But no, the old what they're jumping up for is precedence, yeah, and that's and, and exactly that's wow. that's what you realize. There is is we're not you're not defending, you know, Joseph Davis here. Uh, you're you're defending the system that that works here uh, that 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 goes along with all of this and says, hey, no, you you can't do that. Uh, so let's see where was I'm bringing up Davis's docket sheet again right now. Uh, Davis was, uh, charged with four felonies, uh, dissemination of child sex acts to counsel that criminal use of a communication facility. So only the two they already had him on. 
they, they only got those two. Uh, however, he was found guilty on, on August 27th, 2021. Uh, okay. Both of the dissemination of photographs or film of child sex acts. Uh, he was found guilty of both charges of criminal use of communication facility. Uh, he was sentenced to uh, a minimum of 14 months confinement uh, to 28 months confinement. So about uh, two and a half years on each of the uh, criminal use of, uh, of communication facility charges. Uh, so about a, a year and two months to two years and four months. Okay. Uh, they are uh, yeah, co- consecutive, uh, meaning they, they don't run at the same time. They run uh, are, are, yeah, they, they don't run differently, uh, on it. The three and four, which are the, those two, uh, are concurrence, uh, with one consecutive, uh, the, the third charge, the criminal use of communication facility, uh, runs consecutive. Uh, but those, char- those sentences were only on the criminal use of the communication facility. The, the the ones that ran one of them consecutive and everything else concurrent. Uh, the the dissemination or the of uh of child porn, the two counts yeah. of that that he uh, he was convicted on. Yeah. 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 Those are life sentences. Yay! So life plus a year and four months to two years and four months. Oh, it's those additions that get you. Yeah. That, that's how they get you. Like, you know, after he dies, they're going to leave his corpse in the cell for another year or so. Uh, that's, that's the way we do it. It's uh, Now it's just a statue. Uh, he, he has appealed his conviction. It is a waiting decision by the appellate court as of July of last year. Uh, however, I don't think it's very likely they're going to win that one. Yeah. So, so there is a happy ending is even, even without that information, he went to jail. <laughs> he, he is being All punished. Right. He, he's not going to have access to, uh, computers again. Good. So, um, that being said, that is this episode of Boozy's Legal Funhouse, the case of the yeah. self-incriminating blouse. If you like the episodes here, you can always support this over at patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor. Uh, go to your podcast service of choice. Give us five stars and tell us to fuck off. Uh, Alkali, our certified legal layman, how can they see you places? Uh, you will find me tonight, 7 p.m. Central Time, on Twitch.tv, Alkali Anonymous, playing Jackbox. I stream four times a week, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Mondays, and Sundays. Hopefully see you guys there. And for the people listening at home later, those are Monday nights. Uh, so the same night oh, that these God. episodes release at 7 Central, 8 uh, Eastern, you can catch Alkali on their Twitch channel. Uh, and, Yeah. I know, by the way, just to let you know, we, we have some public cons coming up together. Uh, I think First Squared, MCFC. Uh, yep. uh, I think you're doing Furthermore again this year. I am doing Furthermore again this year, Wonderful. Yes. I have put in for live recordings of this show at each one. I will be there for each one. So, I cannot wait. Folks, until next time, I am the Boozy Badger, Boozy Barrister. Here's our certified legal layman, Alkali. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been Boozy's Legal Funhouse, and we will see you next time. Night, everyone.